Good morning. My name is David Sunday. I'm also one of the pastors here, and I joined Pastor Dan this morning in welcoming you and wishing you a very Merry Christmas. We rejoice today in the gift of God's Son. Tim Keller was a best-selling author. He wrote a book called The Reason for God, and he was a pastor in New York City. And when he died this past May, hundreds, thousands of people talked about how he had helped them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I like the way that he would engage with people who told him that they didn't believe in God. Tim would reply, describe the God you've rejected. Describe the God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in that God either. When you think about it, it's very possible that the God we don't believe in is actually not the God that the Bible reveals. Maybe you don't believe in God or you're not sure what you believe about God. And if that's where you're at today, I'm so glad that you have come to this service. Are you open to the possibility that the God you don't believe in is not actually the God Christians worship? And before you shut the door to believing in Jesus, would you let one of his closest followers, a disciple named John, tell you what he saw in Jesus? My hope is that even if you're not sure at the end of this service, you'll find yourself at least wanting to listen to more of John's gospel, at least wanting to know more about this Jesus, because the word gospel means good news. And it's good news of great joy for all people, which means it's for you. It's for all who will receive it. And even if you're not persuaded to believe in Jesus yet, my hope is that you'll listen to the way John speaks about this Jesus that he loved so, and you'll find your heart wishing that what John says about Jesus is true. And I believe it is. So listen once more to how John describes Jesus from the passage that Pastor Dan just read. This is in John chapter 1, and I'm going to read first verse 14. It says this, And the word, that's John's way of describing God's Son who came into the world, the word, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now let's skip to verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Here's the Jesus John wants you and me to encounter and to embrace this morning in three simple points. First, Jesus is enough for you. Second, Jesus will never mislead you. And third, Jesus will always give you better than you deserve. Let's look at that first point. Jesus is enough for you. And I get that from the phrase in verse 16 that says this, from his fullness we have all received. There is an infinite fullness 
in Jesus. He is a never-ending fountain, able to satisfy your soul's deepest needs. And to those who receive him, who believe in him as he reveals himself in the Bible, we draw from this infinite fullness the satisfaction that our souls crave. This is good news for weary hearts. Because many of us come to Christmas and find that this season can expose the gnawing in our souls in ways that leave us feeling disappointed, lonely, anxious. There's a restlessness inside of us that can only find its satisfaction in God because God has made us for himself. Out of all the creatures God made, he created us uniquely as human beings to live in relationship with him. We alone, out of all that he has made, can enjoy friendship with God, fellowship with God. And we're happy when we're living under God's authority and we end up miserable whenever we try to find our happiness independently of God. The Bible describes life without God as walking in darkness It's alienation, it's estrangement, and we've all experienced this. We've all tried to live our lives under our own authority, following our own desires, trusting in our own resources, depending on ourselves. And maybe we can make it work for a while, but eventually we're all confronted with the fact that something is broken, something's not right. We're groping in the darkness, and God knows it's because we can't find our way back to him. We can't comprehend God by ourselves. But God planned a way for us to be brought back into relationship with him. And he announced this plan by prophet after prophet in the Old Testament until finally, at just the right time, when the stage of history was perfectly set, God came down into our human condition. He became one of us. Without ceasing to be the eternal God through whom all things were created, he became a human being. The word became flesh, which means he embraced our weakness, our frailty, our perishableness. We encountered the fullness of God in a helpless little baby. He dwelt among us. He revealed who God is to us in a way we can understand, in a way we can relate to because of how fully he relates to us. That's the good news Christians celebrate at Christmas. God has done what we could not do to reconcile us to himself, to heal the estranged relationship between us and him. And he actually opened the door for us to become his children members of his family, to make you a precious, beloved son or daughter of God as your heavenly father. He opens the door for heaven to become your home with God forever. So is the problem that Jesus is unable to meet our need? Is that the problem? Or is the problem that we are unwilling to believe in who God says Jesus is? Ray Ortland puts it like this. Our real problem is that we don't believe in the real Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Every moment of panic, every vain regret, every hidden hypocrisy, our every failure is alerting us 
I am not believing that Jesus is enough for me. What would change in your life this Christmas if you started believing that Jesus is enough for everything you need in life and in the life to come? What if you started living like Jesus is near, not far off, not irrelevant, but big enough and near enough to handle every challenge you could bring to him? What if you really started believing that because the government of the world is on Jesus's shoulders, you don't need to keep carrying the weight of the world on yours? What if you stop fixating on your fears and your failures and started focusing on his fullness, his plenty to satisfy your soul's greatest longings? What might change for you if you really believed that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus as a fountain that ever flows to satisfy your soul's deepest needs. That's the first thing John wants us to see today about Jesus. There is an infinite fullness in him, and that fullness flows to satisfy the souls of everyone who believes in him. Jesus is enough for us. He's the best. God, God's not holding out, waiting to give us something better. He gave us his best when he gave us his son, Jesus. But John doesn't want us to just fill in the blanks with our own ideas of what this fullness consists of. He gets very specific about what the fullness of Jesus means for you and me. Imagine you're standing in front of the Pacific Ocean. You're gazing out at its grandeur. You're admiring its fullness, and you know exactly what it's full of. It's full of water. As John gazes on the ocean of Jesus' glory in this passage, John sees two glorious qualities that overwhelm him with joy and awe and gratitude. He tells us what he sees in Jesus' glorious fullness in verse 14. What does it say Jesus is full of? Grace and truth. We see it again in verse 17. In the past, God revealed himself in the law, the law that was given through Moses, the teaching about his gracious requirements. This was a good gift, to be taught by God what he requires of us. But now, in verse 17, we see that in Jesus, God himself enters into the bleak midwinter of humanity's darkness, and he brings us these two precious gifts, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's look at truth first. Because Jesus is full of truth, you can trust that Jesus will never mislead you. That's our second point this morning. You can trust that Jesus will always be enough for you because he is full of truth. He will never lie to you. He will never lead you astray. He will never deceive you. Jesus, notice, he doesn't just claim to have some sprinklings of truth to add to the collection of human philosophies. No. Jesus, Jesus claims to be the truth, the ultimate truth, the embodiment of truth. He is 
the one against whom every other truth claim must be measured. Jesus is the truth. And because he is full of truth, he is the wonderful counselor who's able to untangle all the knots and confusion of life in this fallen world and lead us with wisdom. Every word he has spoken can be trusted implicitly. He will be a lamp to your feet, guiding you step by step through the fearful and lonely passageways of this life. He will be a light to your path, leading you through the valley of the shadow of death into the victory of everlasting life. He came down from heaven above where he lived in perfect fellowship with God the Father. He entered into our weak and frail and perishable conditions so that he could lead us into the true knowledge of God as our Father. That's what verse 18 celebrates up until the coming of Jesus, no one could see God and live. We read the Old Testament and look at people like Moses and Isaiah and look at how they responded when they got just the slightest glimpse of the glory of God. They would fall on their faces like dead men, terrified by the sight of God. No one could see God and live until Jesus came. He came down from the place of most tender, intimate fellowship with the Father. He was, verse 18 says, at the Father's side or on the Father's lap, so to speak. And he reveals this Father to us. He explains the Father to us. He makes him known to us so that we can start to know God as our Father. If you want to know what God is really like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He will tell you the truth about God. He will not lead you astray. And he will tell you the truth about yourself, too. Because Jesus is full of truth, he won't just sweep things under the rug. He won't pretend. He won't say everything's okay when it's not. He won't flatter you or turn a blind eye to what's wrong with you. He sees what's good and beautiful in you and he celebrates it. But he also sees what's ugly in you. He knows the worst about you, which would be terrifying if it were not for the other glorious quality that Jesus is full of. Truth without grace destroys us. It demolishes us. But as Bono put it, grace makes beauty out of ugly things. That's what grace does. That's why we can rejoice that even though John will have a lot more to tell us in his gospel about the truth that is found in Jesus, he starts in this passage by putting the emphasis on grace. What does he tell us we have received from Jesus' fullness in verse 16? What does it say? For from his fullness we have all received not truth upon truth, even though that's true. No, John, John emphasizes this. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I'm glad he emphasizes that. That brings us to our last point this morning. Because Jesus is full of grace, 
Jesus will always treat you better than you deserve. That's the kind of God he is. It's the kind of God we worship. Grace upon grace flows out of Jesus' fullness into the chasm of our deepest need. What exactly is grace? I had a good conversation about this with my barber on Friday. I asked her what she thinks of when she hears the word grace. She mentioned people who demonstrate kindness and compassion without drawing attention to themselves. And she lit up when she started talking about grace. She spoke of people who are able to move through delicate situations without troubling the waters. What do you think of when you hear the word grace? For John, God's grace shines in his ability to move into the troubled waters caused by our sin and to show us compassion and kindness where we deserved a storm of wrath and judgment. That's God's grace. Grace is God's undeserved kindness toward those who have rebelled against him. It's when the person from whom we have the right to expect nothing but rejection and condemnation instead lavishes on us acceptance and forgiveness and generous goodness. That's grace. Grace comes freely to us who receive it but it's always costly to the one who gives it. In the case of the gospel, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, and it costs Jesus everything. What John tells us here about Jesus is enough to take your breath away. He says in verse 16, In Jesus, we who believe in him, we are living under a constant waterfall of grace. It's cascading over us all the days of our lives, and it will for eternity. From his fullness, we who believe on him have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's, that's the kind of Jesus John believes in. The grace that is in Jesus will never run dry. And when you receive him, that grace will be poured out upon you in a rapid succession of blessings with no interval between the arrival of one and the coming of the next. It's continuous. No intermission. Never depleted. There's never a moment when God's going to say to his people, come on, folks, I need a rest for a while. You're going to have to handle this one on your own. My grace will show up later. No. Just like the waves of the sea rolling on the beach thousands of years in a row without interruption, so it will be for those who believe in Jesus, wave upon wave upon wave of God's grace pours over us in rich abundance, in constant succession, treating us with goodness and mercy that is as fresh today and will be renewed tomorrow and will never become stagnant and friends, this grace, it's not just some knickknack to put up on your, your shelf of precious moments figurines collecting dust. 
This is a grace that comes powerfully into our lives to do something. It's a grace that brings forgiveness with it that we desperately need. It's a grace that brings a conscience that's cleansed from guilt and shame. It's a grace that brings transformation and renovation and sanctification into our lives, a, a new way of living that is pleasing to God. It's a grace that works in you and works for you and works with you to change you so that you start becoming more and more like Jesus himself, so that you also become a person who is increasingly filled with grace and truth as well. The counselor David Paulison pointed out that it wouldn't be good news to be forgiven of adultery and still remain adulterous. Nor would it be good news to be forgiven of lying but still remain devious and deceitful. And that's the good news about the grace of Jesus. It doesn't just leave us as we are. It frees us from the guilt of our sin, from the penalty of our sin, but also it frees us from the power of our sin so that we can start to change. It makes you a new person. It enables you to see others through new eyes. A couple weeks ago, as I was reading this book by Andrew Wilson, I discovered a person in Christian history that I never had heard about before. His name is... Olauda Aquiano. And Olauda Aquiano was born in southeastern Nigeria around the year 1745. At the age of 11, he and his sister were kidnapped by English slave traders and taken to Barbados. And from there, they were brought up to Virginia, where he became, he was sold to a lieutenant in the Royal Navy. He endured unspeakable horrors during his more than a decade of slavery. But eventually he was sent to Britain where he was able to learn English and then to purchase his freedom. After that, he traveled the world from Turkey up to the Arctic Circle, down to the Caribbean, speaking and writing for the abolitionist cause. In his autobiography, he speaks of the harrowing accounts that he saw. He speaks of two Africans chained to one another, jumping into the sea to escape the gruesome conditions of the ship, followed by the merciless flogging of others who tried to follow them. He excoriates the hypocrisy of Christians for our inhumanity, for speaking with with truth about Jesus out of one side of our mouths and then acting in gut-wrenching ways toward our fellow man. He speaks of the horrible practice of separating children from their parents, brothers from their sisters, husbands from their wives. But here's the astonishing thing. Even though he saw and experienced the ugliest, most brutal treatment from people who claimed to be Christians... Aquiano not only converted to Christianity, but he wrote about his own experience of his own sin and God's grace in his life in words like this, and I quote him. I was convinced that the Lord was better to me than I deserved. And I was better off in the world than many. 
I was sensible of the invisible hand of God which guided and protected me when in truth I knew it not. Still the Lord pursued me, although I slighted it and disregarded it. His mercy melted me down. When I considered my poor, wretched state, I wept, seeing what a great debtor I was to sovereign free grace. Oh, the amazing things of that hour when I trusted in Jesus that can never be told. It was joy in the Holy Spirit. I felt an astonishing change. By free grace, I was persuaded that I had a part and lot in the first resurrection and was enlightened with the light of the living. How could a person who'd experienced such horrific cruelty from people who said they believed in Jesus nonetheless become a Christian himself and then sit alongside English Christians in their churches and sing their hymns and read their books? How could that be? Andrew Wilson concludes, Aquiano genuinely seems to have been more aware of his own sin than theirs, and convinced that far from owing him anything, God in Christ had actually given him far more than he deserved. That's the God we worship. That's the God who came into the world at Christmas. He's a God who didn't wait for us to clean up our act before he came down to us. He's not a God who's checking his list, making it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice so that he could reward those who are nice. No, he knows all our naughtiness. And he knows the worst about us. And he looks us right in the eye. And he sees us not just at our best, but at our ugliest. And his grace comes down to make beauty out of ugly things. In Jesus, God will always treat you better than you deserve. He will never lead you astray. He will satisfy your soul's deepest needs. And he will keep doing it forever. If you could see Jesus the way John sees him, the way Aquiano saw him, wouldn't you want to believe in a God like this? He knows your need. To your weakness, he's no stranger. And he is here right now, listening to the heart cry of every single person who calls out to him for mercy. He will hear you. You can, you can believe in Jesus right now if you're ready. So let's bow together in prayer before him. And if you would like to respond to Jesus, please join me from your heart in praying this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I do now receive you. Please, from your fullness, pour out grace upon grace in my life so that I can know you, so that I can follow you as you lead me in your truth, and so that my soul can find its satisfaction in you. Thank you for coming into the world to be my Savior. Amen. For those of